This is the Dallas Morning News. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pals Evan Grant and David Moore. Evan's out at spring training. Evan, what's it like out there in Surprise? Um, well, we are today in the flight pattern from Luke Air Force Base, so it's like a Super Bowl flyover every 15 minutes. It's great. <laughs> um, you know, because I like a good flyover, right? I was, that was what I was most excited about yesterday was, or the Sunday was, um, seeing the flyover before the game. Not the Taylor Swift stuff. You know, I, I don't care one way or another, but I wanted to see the flyover. So here we get them every 10 minutes. It's great. You'll probably hear a few while we're recording this. Is anybody out in the street singing the national anthem? Nobody is out uh, singing the national anthem at this point. No. Okay. Well, you might try that yourself. That might get they're, all the neighbors going. No. No, that's not, that's it. And David is back from the Super Bowl. Speaking of which, David, you have a good time out there? I am back. It's, uh, I wouldn't say a good time. I think it's a little different for the media. You're, you know, with the schedule and going back and forth and it's, uh, it's certainly a jam packed week, but it was a, I would say it was a productive week. And yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's the, the Super Bowl is, you know, absurd and over the top every year and is there a better host city for absurd and over the top than vegas and uh yeah. i'm sure good it point. will return it was a, it was a it was a good logistical setup really i think for the super bowl and i would be shocked if it's not part of the uh rotation going forward what was that stadium like obviously i've never been in it you know that was the only stadium i had not been in and uh i really liked it it was the thing I liked about it is also one of the things I like about uh, the stadium in Minneapolis is one I think it's visually uh, it's visually attractive and uh, aesthetically inside there are a lot of nice touches. Just from watching the game in the press box, the press box is like it is in Minneapolis. It is open, so you get the crowd noise and feel, and you get you're a little bit more connected to the game and. You know, look for for a media experience in the game. I understand that's very low on the list. Where you know it's it's about the fan experience and the sweet owners and and all of that. But I really enjoy being able to be at a game and feel I'm actually in the environment as far as hermetically sealed off, like you are in most stadiums. Yeah, just, just as long as it doesn't impact your uh, equipment. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Remember, remember back in not, the old days with the yeah. with the with the the, the what were, what were those? The porta bubbles. Porta bubbles. The, every once in a while, you'd have to put stuff down in the couplers to keep the sound noise from getting in there yeah. and they have it reacting to that. Or, or you'll have to jam this thing they used to call a landline into the couplers and hold it in <laughs> to make right. sure it wasn't, didn't disrupt during sending. Oh, that was Boy, a- I'll tell you, there's nothing. You know, some people would say, like, hey, let's talk about 
Usher and Ludacris, and that might bring in the young listeners. But no, we have the secret sauce. Let's talk about print newspaper outdated technology. Evan, that draws them in. Every once in a while, it's just okay to throw something back, you know? No, let's the past just, does let's not matter. It. Let's just past face it. matter. You are not hip. No, nothing you're going to do is ever going to make you hip. Okay. You think people are going to listen to this podcast to hear you talk about ludicrous? <laughs> That's, let me just say this: that is ludicrous. I'm not worried about being. <laughs> I'm not worried about being hip. I'm just worried about being hipper than the two of you. That's all yeah. that I have to accomplish here. It's like that old it's bear like, joke. It's like. You don't have to be the fastest zebra. You just don't want to be the slowest one because that's the one that the lion catches. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know this. I can run laps around you, so I'm not worried about that. So, so now you're quoting Red Bull commercials. You're an old man. <laughs> Evan, I was out there at the Y today, buddy. Getting on the old treadmill. Back in form. Getting in, back in shape. Woo. For what? What are you getting in shape for? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to stay alive. That's what I'm trying to do. Why do you need to be in shape? Boy, that's that is so ugly, you guys. You know, most people would say, Kevin, that is so great that you're getting out there and staying in shape, trying to stay alive, trying to stay a, a functioning member of your family and of this newspaper. And instead, you guys are going, What are you trying to do that for? Why don't you just die and rot, you old man? Well, that may have been a bit beyond what we were saying. <laughs> they could embalm you. <laughs> I've already been involved. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about that Super Bowl. So it's a, it was the biggest, most watched television event ever, right? Or since the Apollo landing? Is since, that, is that it? It's the moon landing. And are we yeah. really sure there was a moon landing, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You you watched that, I guess. On the, didn't they make a movie about that? Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really something that uh, – and, and, you know, people – let me ask you this. How much of it do you think it is just the fact that, well, it's the Super Bowl and, it's, and, and football is America's favorite sport and all of that? How much of it is that? And how much of it is the fact that, that uh, Usher is going to be at the halftime and, and you know, and, uh, and you know, you got a, a superstar country or not country, superstar singer in the press box or in the, in the suites? I mean, how much of it is all of that put together? Well, that's your I peripheral think, audience. You know, that builds around the core audience. And that's that's really the only way you can expand these events this year. I mean, it, it, the, you know, you get people watching and are interested in their different entry points to get those numbers up. Uh, you can't really grow your football audience anymore. So the Super Bowl is about, oh, well, some people turn on and just to watch the commercials and, and sure. the game is background noise. Some turn on to see the halftime performance, um, you know, and, and and when you have uh, these other things swirling around uh, the Taylor Swift effect and, and others, it, it just builds. And and I'm still amazed, Look, you know, beyond this, I, I believe from what I saw that the top rated broadcast shows of 2023, I believe 90 five or 96 of the top 100 were NFL games. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you have to credit it all. I mean, the, the lion's share of it really to the Taylor Swift effect, because like David said, football fans are going to watch the game. Um, you're not going to lose out on any football fans, 
Maybe the halftime show moves the needle a little bit one way or another from year to year. But I, I would tell you that, you know, the last five years or so, I think the Super Bowl has been on a really good run in terms of halftime artists who are going to connect with a with a younger audience. I I just think that the Taylor Swift effect was a, a huge element this year. And and it, and it, it's the NFL's gain. The NFL wins on that. But, yeah, I, I think that that she her presence brought a whole dimension of people to the game that wouldn't necessarily watch it. Well, I saw your reactions. Yeah, well, I you know, I, I you see people talking about how their uh young daughters wanted to watch the game for the first time just to see her and and all of this this again, this is one of the silliest outcries of in a society that demands an outcry every day over something. But all of this, well, they show her too much. She dominates the broadcast, all this, all that. I saw, I believe, the total amount of airtime she had in the game was 52 seconds, which accounted for right at or a little less than 1% of the total broadcast time. David, that uh, is an out-and-out out lie. It was 54 seconds. According oh, excuse to me. I'm sorry. I saw. Yeah. Look, well, that it's, is the same thing. it's the same thing as when Jerry Jones is in the box. How many times do they show Jerry Jones? You know, who who cares if it's if it, I don't care who they're showing. Uh, it doesn't make any difference to me. Half the time, I don't I, I just don't pay attention to that. Uh, but but to your point about the expanding the uh, the audience here in, in my, our family, in the Super Bowl party we had at our house, the, the women were all excited about seeing Taylor Swift. And about Usher, and that was the and that, those were the two main reasons they were watching it. And I just think that basically, people with the Super Bowl, it's just an excuse to have a party. You know, that's the thing about football. No other sport in America, anyway, has a one-game championship. You know, basically, I mean, you you do have playoffs, but they don't, there's not a series involved here. Where I, I think that that in in some ways, uh, I, I I realize that in, in a in a seven-game series, they do better if you get towards that end. It's, it, it, the ratings are always better at that, at that. But I also feel like it, there has to be a little bit of a deadening effect to people. There, in, in our society now, we just want one thing to wrap it up. We, we like to point towards one game right here at the end of the week. Here we go. This is the game we know we're going to see. We're all planning for it. Here it is. We saw it. That's it. It's over. Do it. Check the box and move on to whatever is next. Entertainment political, whatever it is that you want to be outraged by or entertained by, just go. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. And, and I, I do think we need to revisit one thing here. Um, where the hell was my invitation? <laughs> no invitation. This was just, it was a closed circle on this one. Just, just family. We didn't even have the whole family and it was still a full house. Uh, all right. Now let me, let me, you left let family me members out of your party. You wouldn't let them into your family. No, Super there were, Bowl there party? were people outside knocking and we would not let them in. <laughs> get out of here. I, I, I just went on the ring and said, get out, go back. I didn't even open the door. All right. First eight so, family members. So I, I, David, I don't remember. Did you, who did you pick in the Super Bowl? Oh, well, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I said I don't see how anyone could pick against Patrick Mahomes, but sure I would. I would go San Francisco. <laughs> That's right, David. And once again, you were proven wrong, boy, and David. Then, you can't, you can't yeah. pick Brock Purdy over over Patrick Mahomes, can you? Boy, I mean, it just you can't, it's unbelievable. It, it, 
Yeah, well, you can't pick you can't pick any quarterback over Mahomes right now, and that's the point. And it's it's we saw a generational talent and achievement in Tom Brady, and went wow, you know, this is going to be pretty hard to duplicate. And now Patrick Mahomes coming right after him is on the same pace. They both have three titles in their first seven seasons in the league. Now the interesting part is. Brady then had a 10-year gap before he won the next, before he got his next four. All, all four of those came after the age of 35. You know, health and, and a lot of things, that's that's a lot to take into account to say that, you know, uh, he's certainly going to have the same longevity that Tom Brady did. So, but Mahomes has positioned himself, and if they can do something here, if he can pick up a couple of more in the next Four to five years is going to be pretty interesting as far as this chase of Tom Brady. As it is, he already passed uh, Roger Staubach in Super Bowl titles on Sunday, and he equaled uh, Troy Aikman. So he, had, Troy Aikman and Patrick Mahomes are currently tied for the fourth most uh, Super Bowl titles by any quarterback, and he's only 28. Evan, was there something you wanted to say? Well, there's a flyover currently going going on over here, um, but I will use that as my cue to just again say I can't think of a football player of an NFL player that I have enjoyed or made appointment TV to watch more than Patrick Mahomes. In the last, the last player I felt this way about was watching Dion at the you know really at the prime of his career play that position. Um, Patrick Mahomes is just such a joy to watch. And you you you, you know that he's going to do something, I, I don't want to say historic in terms of performance, but you know he's going to do something to win the game. And, uh, you know, the minute that uh, that, that, the, that they got the ball, it was over with. You, you knew that they were going to win that game. Everybody, right? Everybody said that's going to happen. And this was, you know, he's been in four Super Bowls. He's trailed by 10 or more points in all four, and he has a three-and-one record. Yeah, everybody, I thought, everybody I did, did that except the, for Kyle Shanahan. Uh, that was that was the that was the one guy who didn't think that maybe that was a good idea to let him have four shots at a hmm. at a uh, at, at getting whatever he needed to get. That was so. Do we think that was a mistake? Obviously, All right, let me just. I guess I should ask that question. Should Kyle Shanahan have said, uh, "Yeah, we will receive here on the first uh, overtime"? I understand the point you're talking about. Whereas, if if you score on the first possession, which is what San Francisco did, uh, and then turned it over, you're not giving Patrick Mahomes three downs to pick up a first. You're giving him four, which is which is what we saw early there, right? They picked up a fourth and one, and then right. Uh, whereas if San Francisco hadn't scored, or if Kansas City would have gotten the ball first and been in that situation. Would they have gone for it on fourth and one there? No way in the world because, you know, if they didn't convert it, San Francisco's right. already in position for a field goal. So so right. from that standpoint, the way it unfolded, you could say yes. But um, I think there's – look, I, I thought San Francisco's defense was playing well. Um, and would you rather have Purdy jumping out and playing from a lead or playing from behind? So – you know, we say all this, you give the ball to Kansas City, they score a touchdown. How much pressure is that on Purdy? 
who hadn't been in the league and is not as good as, as Mahomes. So I, I did not have the problem with it that a lot of people have. I, I think it's a very good point to debate, but I don't know that we've seen enough analytics on it to say which way you should go. And, and then I just see an interesting poll. Someone kind of polled randomly just analytics people around the league, and it was split. Really? Uh, it was split on people saying, well, no, you take the first shot at it uh, because that changes the dynamic of the game. Others saying no. Then others making it specific. Well, no, if you have Mahomes, you don't you don't put him in that position. But um, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with it. Look, they Kansas City came on in the second half, and 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 in my mind, San Francisco actually lost that game early when they went into halftime with only a 10-3 lead. The way they had dominated on both sides of the ball, um, I I think if. I think if they would have pushed it up to a 17 or 20 to 3, which is basically the way they performed and it could have been, uh, then I don't see Kansas City coming back. But I, I think San Francisco really lost it in the first half. A hundred percent on that. I, 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 I thought at halftime the Chiefs are going to win this game because they, they trail by only a touchdown. 10-3, and that's just one magical moment from Mahomes. That's all you need. One moment, one play. And then, you know, people will say it would be that botched punt return. But I would argue that is what makes Patrick Mahomes different. Other quarterbacks would have scored, led their team to score there too. Mahomes did it on the very first play. And that's what these special players do. Because that is even more demoralizing once a team makes a mistake one play later to find the score given up. I, I think that hits a team harder than than uh a four or five play drive would have to, to go in and score there. One quick thing here, because we need to talk about the Cowboys before we get out of this football segment of the podcast. Why, Why do we need to talk about the Cowboys? Why? We Why Cowboys? Be quiet. We're going to talk about the Cowboys. Golly, be quiet. Uh, one of the things uh, about that, uh, too, is I, I thought Tony – a shout-out to Tony Romo, because on the play where they uh, forced the incompletion – Tony said, you know that Steve Spagnuolo is going to dial up a blitz here and that you have to account for that. And and the uh, the 49ers did not account for that. Left a guy wide open, running right into uh, uh, Brock Purdy's face. I, I will say, I know that that Purdy has his critics, and and I think some of that's probably rightfully so. He, he got his team to the Super Bowl. Uh, but in that particular play, I would like to see him, instead of making a panic throw, just take a step. Look. Fake one way, go the other way. That guy's running at you full blast. Try to avoid that guy and then make a throw. That that's the only thing I would say about Brock Purdy in that situation. But it was it, it was not a situation where they accounted for it. You know, they did not they did not either expect the blitz or he didn't call up something. He didn't audible anything to get out of that play and give him a chance to make a play. And 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 I would also say you got to get that ball to McCaffrey more often there at the end. But they, they were doing that on their previous drive and having a lot of success with it. He was just gashing uh, the Chiefs' defense at that point, and I thought that that's why they were going to win, and they didn't do that. So, All right, let's talk about the uh, 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 what's, what's happening here with the Cowboys. They, they did indeed uh, hire Mike Zimmer as the defensive coordinator after some – uh, a little intrigue there over the weekend with Rex Ryan saying, oh, wait a minute, not so fast. I think maybe I'm going to be the next defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. David, you uh, kind of put that all to rest and said that was the 
Cowboys' intention all all along to hire Mike Zimmer, but maybe they were part of the intrigue at that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, and from the people I talked to, they were blown away by Rex Ryan's interview. Um, they were very impressed by him. Um, he won the he won the room, won the interview, if you will. Um, and to me, that's not surprising. He's a very you know bold, engaging guy, and he's been a head coach in this league at two stops. Uh, was a good defensive coordinator before that. So that's not surprising. But starting last Thursday, when they began negotiations with Mike Zimmer, they didn't look back. Mike Zimmer was their choice. And uh, the whole idea that they were waffling this weekend, um, I have not found any anything to that whatsoever. Once the decision was made, they went through to, to get the contract done with Mike Zimmer. Uh, it took them a little more time than both sides thought to get it right, where they were both comfortable with it. Now, so from that perspective, did the Cowboys mind? Uh, and if you listen to what Ryan said uh, on uh, NFL Countdown on Sunday, he said, well, my understanding is Zimmer doesn't have the job yet. It hasn't, which which was true. But that didn't mean he didn't have the job because they were going to give it to Rex Ryan. It just meant that they hadn't worked it out yet. Now, if you want to take this farther, if they've been unable to to reach an agreement yesterday, then does Rex Ryan come back in? No question. But I, I think I took what Rex Ryan said Sunday as the final public lobbying attempt of a candidate to keep his name alive and say, hey, look, I've noticed you guys aren't done yet. I still really want this. This is why I want it. But in him saying that, which I took as just strictly a lobbying attempt for him uh, for the job, others interpret it as, oh, what's going on here? Well, Zimmer isn't hired yet. So what is something going on here? Are they looking at him? Are they indecisive? Are they undecided on how to go? Uh, But my understanding was once they decided on Mike Zimmer on Thursday, they didn't waver. I think the upshot of all this is that Rex Ryan will be the Cowboys next head coach. <laughs> well, he won the room. It's going to be sitting in Jerry's yeah. mind all year. Yeah. And and you can't lose your value that way, right? Sometimes it's better not to get a certain job, but to leave the impression of, wow, I really like that guy. We have to put him in the mix going forward. So, yeah, it's um, – it, the, the Cowboys landed on the defensive coordinator that made the most sense for where this team is and for who this head coach is, Mike McCarthy, who is going into a fifth year of a contract with no assurance that it's going to be extended or he'll be back. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to go back and, and to see just what Rex Ryan has said about Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott, for that matter, over the last few years. I seem to recall Rex was a little critical of Dak might be a little hard to, to bring that guy aboard uh, when you can so easily document some of these things that they've come out and said. Rex and, and his brother and his dad were never too shy about uh, speaking their minds, uh, and sometimes that's that can kind of come back to bite you a little bit. Kevin, let's but let's face facts. If Rex Ryan was the Cowboys head coach and he comes up to the podium and finishes something up with let's get some snacks, number one, I'll be out there to go have snacks, and you'll be out there lapping up those kinds of quotes. So let's all hope that this takes place. 
Well, yeah, you, you can't ever tell. Uh, I would. It'll be interesting to me to see if you know going to this uh, the lame duck year of Mike McCarthy as a head coach. As we know, Jerry likes to put his people in these kinds of situations. He thinks they perform better under pressure like this. I'm sure they wouldn't uh, agree with that. But uh, we'll we'll see what he does the next time. Uh, will he try to go back for another prove what he considers a proven head coach like a like a Rex Ryan, like a Bill Belichick? Or, or would he go for somebody young and unproven the next time? I got, uh, I got. Before we get out here of the Cowboys uh, uh, segment, I want to ask both of you guys that: if the if if this is the last year as Mike McCarthy's coach, would Jerry try to hire a proven head coach like one of the guys we just talked about, or would he go out on the limb and try to do a Jason Garrett thing all over again? David, you want to go ahead and fire Mike McCarthy? Oh, I'm trying to fire him right now. January, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The guy well, who's it's been never, it's never five too and soon. three consecutive seasons. It's never too soon to get on with that first, guy, I think. For the first time in 28 years, a team has gone. Cowboys Emmett have Smith, been this good Emmett over Smith three says he should have been fired. That's, that's, that's the NFL's all-time leading rusher, pal. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then, then I think him, it should be the coach. Yeah, that's, that's there. You go. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, no, seriously. It, it, it just if if you were gonna if you're gonna guess, I'm I'm gonna say that I'll just I'll go first. I'll say I think that Jerry would always at this point in his life he's gonna hire a proven coach. He's gonna hire a guy he thinks is gonna do. It. He is not gonna try to guess on anybody at this point. So he just had Jason Garrett for nine plus years and invested him in the unproven coach at the age of 82, which Jerry will be in October. Um, he's not going to, he, he's not going to go out and uh, do an out of the box hire. Yeah. I don't think so. Evan. Yeah. I mean, you, the, the one thing for me is I don't know how many Belichick's going to be what 73 next year. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess my point is I don't know how many really, um, proven asset head coaches there may be out there. I suppose if Mike Vrabel doesn't take a job between now and then, that's a guy that I'd have some interest in because I think he does kind of bring some level of that kind of young, uh, dynamic feel. But also, look, he's got he's got the chops of having been a head coach and, and the coaching tree that he comes from. So that that's one guy that would interest me. Other than that, listen, I. I I'm not huge on, for lack of a better term, retreads at this point. I think that, you know, there needs to be some some new energy. You know, I'm a big Mike McDaniel type of guy, and I'd like to see an inspired hire like that. But, yeah, that's the deal. Do you trust Jerry Jones to make an inspired hire? When, when was the last inspired hire Jerry made as a head coach? Well, it was Jimmy Johnson. That was it. That was his one big inspiration was Jimmy Johnson. Everybody else after that, I mean, you could say that Barry Switzer, you know, and he did win a Super Bowl with Barry. Uh, so that's, I guess, maybe I, I, I'm going to give him that one. A lot of people are, were, would say, you're crazy. We're not giving Barry Switzer any. Barry's about as out of the box as you can get, though. Well, he is. He is that. And I got to tell you, it's like my conversation with Frank Luxa one time. We were, we were talking about how, how everybody was criticizing uh, Barry as a head coach, didn't know what he's doing, and, Barry, and, and Frank said, I don't care if he knows what he's doing or not. He's interesting. That's all I care about. And I said, I'm with you, pal. Put me down with that. Interesting. I'm always for that. 
That's uh, why you want Rex Ryan and his let's go get some snacks, boys. Well, it would be that would probably be all right, especially if he, if he has a good walk off. I'm always interested in a good walk off with a head coach, you know? You want these guys that, you know, although Bill Parcells did not have walk offs, but his press conferences were so good, we didn't care. Right, David? Yeah. They weren't really about the topic or the team, but he went on uh, Football 101 and he, he knew how to give you something to uh, to write and uh, keep you away from addressing anything specific about the team at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill uh, Bum Phillips was good at that too. Bum would say something really funny and you'd ask him a direct question and he'd say something really funny. If he persisted in that direct qu- question, it was like, oh, and he's not so funny after that. Uh, he didn't like it. <laughs> He felt like if he's if he's making you laugh, that should have been good enough. Which you know, looking back on it, yeah, it, it was good enough actually. I will say this: you know, if we're talking about colorful guys, Jerry Glanville is back as a defensive coordinator <laughs> at 82 years old at like Northwestern Oklahoma State. So um, maybe maybe he's there. He could leave some tickets for Elvis. It would be all fun and games again. Oh, it'd be great. I, I hope that he knows where he's going when he's up there and he's driving around and. Northeast, Northwest, whatever that, whatever directional school it is up there in Oklahoma. That's, those are always great. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, Cowboys slash Super Bowl uh, segment of the podcast. We're going to move over and talk about the Rangers now. Evans up there in uh, in, in uh, Surprise, Arizona, at spring training uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, we're taping this on Tuesday. Uh, is pitchers and catchers report? That's a those are. Sacred words to all those seam heads out there. Uh, Evan, uh, as far as you know, uh, everybody's supposed to be there. No one's holding out. Nobody's going to be a no-show. This this ain't the NFL, Kevin. They're, they're, <laughs> I, I've had one holdout in 30-plus years of, uh, of, of covering baseball, and uh, I was told when I was at that point in time, it was a guy with the Marlins who's departed our planet named Chuck Clark, Chuck Carr, um, but he had no leverage. He held out with no leverage. So wasn't exactly the smartest strategy on, on the planet. Um, the biggest question always is whether anybody will come in here would be delayed by any kind of travel issues or anything. I Listen, I was out there today um, and there were a number of position players and a, and, and a number of pitchers getting work in. I, I This is a team that it is the defending world champions. Um, they want to be back together, and they they want to they they, they want to prove that last year wasn't just a fluke. So I, I think that everybody's going to be here and and be fired up. I, I suppose it does lead into the one question that that we could talk about, and that is, you know, uh, what would Adolis Garcia's state of mind be going into this? And I know you aren't crazy. You weren't crazy about how the Rangers treated him during the arbitration process. No, I wasn't, you know, and I realized that, that, listen, I'm not a management guy uh, and I'm always, I'm with always the rank and file, you know, the little man, that's me. Uh, even though I'm, I'm making a case for the big man, Adolis Garcia. Uh, and that is this, look, I, I realized that, the, and as you reported, his numbers were very similar to Kyle Tucker's arbitration case. Uh, and, uh, and Kyle Tucker ended up getting $5 million, which is, which is what the uh, the Rangers were negotiating with him. Although Kyle Tucker is what, 25? 20, uh, he's four years younger than Garcia. He was 26 going into arbitration. Okay. It's four years younger. So he's got a lot of time to make up uh, the money that Adolis is not going to have. Uh, uh, so that's that's one thing. Uh, n- number two, uh, Adolis, you know, 
running away is the heart and soul of that Rangers club. Even the best player on that club said so. Uh, and he's batting cleanup on a World Series team, at least as long as he was able to in the World Series. And they wouldn't have got to the World Series without him, without his performance in the LCS. Uh, he's got two guys hitting in front of him and make more than one week than he made all year long uh, last year. So to me, those are issues. And then on, on the to take it one step further, we know Adolis is a really emotional guy, right? And he, and he wears his heart on his sleeve. And uh, I would think the last thing he wanted to do was to risk anything with him. Now, I know that a lot of this was his representation, and maybe that wasn't the best, and, may, and maybe they didn't do a good job. I just feel like if I would have asked Adolis, Adolis, what do you feel like is a fair number here? Obviously, they were asking for $6 million, right? Uh. Well, I mean, the number they submitted was was seven. Seven. All right. So they're asking for seven million. I would have said, oh, Adolis, you want seven million a year for for two years. I tell you what, we're going to give you. We're going to give you fourteen million. Uh, or we're going to give you twenty eight million. We're going to double what you were asking for. And if if in subsequent you know negotiations, people come up and say, hey, we're this is what you gave Adolis Garcia. This is what we're going to want. I would tell them, well, when you're the ALCS MVP. Uh, and you're going to back clean up on this team and have the moments that Adolis Garcia had, uh, well, then sure, then we'll do that. We'll come back to us and we'll talk about it. H- hang on. I just want to I just want to go back here for a quick second. So I, you uh, you said, so give us a number that you think would be fair and we'll double that, right? Yeah. That was, And that was your rationale? That's my rationale. Yeah. Because there's, here's the thing. There's two takeaways from that. One, this is why you're not an owner. And two, this is why you're not exactly. a GM. Um, yeah. True. Listen, I, I think th- there's a number of ways to look at the Garcia situation. Um, and I think that, you know, what played out publicly was that, the, you know, they're negotiating on this arbitration deal. But I think all along they were really talking about this two-year deal that was going to give him kind of the longer-term security. I think if anything, if you go back and look at the deal compared to Kyle Tucker, Tucker made out a little bit better than Adolis did because Tucker got $5 million after losing arbitration last year, and he's getting $12 million this year on a one-year deal. So he's getting $17 million guaranteed. Adolis is only going to get fourteen and a half guaranteed. Um, and he took he took what Tucker took as a loss last year. Look, if Tucker if Tucker had come in around $6 million last year instead of 7.5, He'd have either won his arbitration case or he'd have gotten a settlement in the five to five, five, seven area. If Adolis had filed at six, six and a half, he'd have either gotten a settlement for one year at about five, seven, or he'd have gotten, or he'd have won that case. So I think they left a little bit of money on the table, but I think ultimately this was about getting Adolis Garcia some long-term financial security because he is older than most arbitration eligible players, first year arbitration players. I think he does know that, excuse me, he plays a very physical brand of baseball and he is one leap away going the, the other way than it did last September from basically, you know, that knee exploding. Uh, so I think he needed to get some financial security. And I think that, if it was going to be a two-year deal that offered him the opportunity to, with some incentive, well, they're mostly voting escalators, but there are some plate appearance incentives that gave him a chance to earn as much as Tucker, if not more, 
I think that was going to to satisfy him in a way that he 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 would feel secure, but also feel driven to prove, look, I can I can even do better than this. So I think what I wrote last week, Kevin, was that the thing people remember about negotiations is that they don't remember anything about negotiations. The outcome was basically what these sides needed to get was a two year deal that gives him some security. And I think that's the most important thing. And I do think you're going to see an Adolis Garcia that comes to camp with some peace of mind that, hey, I've, I've taken care of my family long term here. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how he reacts and how he feels about it. I, I think, you know, uh, like I said, uh, Adolis is an emotional guy. And I'm not saying that he was going to do this or not. But at some point, you have to uh, understand that when a guy has risen to the level that Adolis has and he's done what Adolis has done, you never know how that's going to affect him, right? You don't you don't know how he's going to react to that kind of stardom, thinking that, look, look what I did. And he sits back and look, and, I, and these other two guys are making a half billion dollars, and, and I'm making – you know, chump change compared to them, and yet I'm the cleanup hitter. So that's what you have to worry about is, is this going to happen? And that's why I said, that's why I said, you know, you would say to Adolis, what do you think is fair? And he comes oh. at me with a number, and then I go over that number, you know? The principle, and that's the principle, the principle of, what you, of what you offered is completely, is completely fair and would be a really progressive look, right? To say we're going to reward you above and beyond what we need to for this season. Um, certainly you're not going to give a guy double what he asked for, but I think, you know, if you say, look, you were ALCS MVP last year, and we think that's worth an additional X number of dollars, an additional $2 million in your deal for this year, that's fine. And if you win it again next year, then we'll, let's talk about, you know, we'll give you, we'll give you a, 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 a double that bonus. So, I think all of that makes sense. I, but honestly, you're not going to pay a guy double what what his market value should be. Um, as as admirable as that may be, if you were an owner, I just don't think that's realistic. But no, it's not. We're... It's not. It's not realistic. But it, but but Adolis is not realistic. It is not realistic. His career and what's happened with him, right? I mean, he's he's completely the outlier, uh, in, and will will always be that in Rangers history. I mean, you can't go back too far when people are were saying, "Oh, this guy's yeah, he was just a flash in the pan. He was good for like three months, and that was good, and now he's done, and that's over." Well, then he then the next thing you know, he's in the World Series. He's Godzilla out there, you know, in the in the ALCS. My my gosh, I mean, he he practically. It was like Samson pulling down the pillars around the, uh, you know, uh, Minute Maid Park. It, it was just unbelievable what he did to the Astros. So, you know, it, it is he's an outlier. And that's why, you know, I, 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 I've told you this before and I've said this before. I, I just have a, you know, uh, kind of a heartfelt feeling for, for Adonis. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he's just he's everything that Corey Seager said about him, you know. And, and that's and, and it, you almost kind of feel like they're. Somebody I'd be looking out for him as much as he's putting into this too. And 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 when when you spend the money that the Rangers are spending, what he's making is just nothing compared to that. So anyway, that's my that's my point on all that. All right, uh, so I ought to do it now for the Rangers segment of our podcast. We're going to move over and talk a little bit about the the Mavericks. Uh, their new owner showed up uh, on the court. Uh, well, it's that courtside anyway. 
uh, Monday night against the uh, Wizards. The Mavericks uh, were coming off a spectacular win of Oklahoma City, the first game after the trade deadline in which they acquired Daniel Gafford, the center uh, from the Wizards, and as well as P.J. Washington, power forward from Charlotte. Uh, they, they beat uh, Oklahoma City by 35 points. Uh, it was just phenomenal, and it made me wonder what in the world is going to uh, happen after that. Well, they went back and almost fell on their faces against the Wizards. Uh, had to scramble to, to put that game away in the fourth quarter. But uh, as I said, we did get a good look at the new owner, uh, Patrick Dumont. Uh, he's the son-in-law of uh, the Adelsons, who uh, they're all part of that fortune in Las Vegas from the Sands. Uh, and he was, uh, we met him before the game. We just had a little meet and greet. It lasted about, oh, I don't know, two minutes. Uh, he seemed very polite and genuine and sincere and uh, and basically everything that Mark Cuban wasn't uh, when uh when Mark Cuban uh, was introduced as the owner, uh, he, he didn't even want a press conference. We didn't, you know, there was no Q&A. There was no nothing. This may be the last time we ever even talked to Patrick DeMont, for all I, for all I can uh, tell. Uh, but it is very curious to watch this whole thing develop because uh, at one point, uh, Mark Cuban did go over and talk to DeMont uh, and Nico, who was sitting between Nico Harrison and uh, Sent Marshall, the CEO, uh, and so that was an interesting dynamic as well. And then Mark went back over to the usual seats over by the baseline and, and spent the rest of the game there. Um, that's no longer the seat of power uh, with the Mavericks. And, and I think that that has apparently finally set in with Mark, who was telling everybody after the uh, sale was made that, oh, no, no, I'll still be the governor of the team. I'll still be making the basketball decisions, to which basically – the new ownership has told him kind of behind the scenes, well, no, you're not. Uh, we're the ones with the money. We're the ones with the power. And we're the ones who will be making the decisions going forward. So they've everyone one, knew, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, this is what happens, right? You know, yeah. if you, if you, they didn't buy this team to be signing on. So people from Las let Vegas, Mark run it however he wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was never going to happen. And, and that's what was so, and I was out there when that happened too. That the day that that was announced, and that was the most bizarre uh, set of circumstances. You know, trying to figure out what was actually happening and how this is going to happen and why it happened. And and I frankly, I'm still not sure about all the whys. You know, uh, we we've made a lot of guesses and and we said a lot of things. Uh, but seeing what has happened with the new ownership coming in, and clearly they're going to be in charge, not Mark. It it kind of backs me up to then why did Mark agree to this? You know, it's not like he needed the money. I mean, $2 billion is, is great. I mean, you know, it would be great for me. Uh, if that was, if I was getting that, I'd written my last column for the Dallas morning news. I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm not holding on to do anything going forward. Yeah. But $2 billion doesn't go as far as it used to when you're giving everybody double what they asked for, Kevin. I know that's true. Well, that's, that's me though. You know, I go in when, when they bring the, when they bring the bill to the table, I say, I say to the waiter or waitress, you're how really much good. do you I'll want for this meal? I'll double it. Okay. There we go. That's me. But, uh, no, I, you know, I, I thought one, uh, Brad Townsend, uh, did speak to, uh, DeMont before he came into town, uh, an outstanding piece that, that I thought DeMont kind of addressed everything. And 
what I found the most interesting is it related to Mark Cuban, and he was very politic about it. But he talked about, you know, his experience and wanting his voice and why wouldn't we? And, uh, you know, we've gotten, a, you know, I like Mark, we've talked on other things, but, you know, all of this. But you really read and digest what he said. And he said, well, you know, I have the seat on the board of governors. You know, I have the final call. Nico Harrison is the general manager. Sent Marshall is over business and is outstanding at what she does. He de- he delineated all of the roles except for Cubans, and Cuban was basically kind of a uh, you know uh, an owner emeritus sort of role, right? Um, that sure, I'm going to seek your input. You know this league better than I do, but seeking your input and turning the decision over to you are two different things. And I thought that piece by Brad Townsend very subtly and it wasn't you know wasn't beating mark over the head or humiliating him publicly but i thought it very strongly got across that no that's (laughs) that's not how it's going to work going forward this is how it works me nico harrison sent marshall yeah no question about that and and uh, in that little uh meet and greet that we had uh for a few minutes uh he made clear how much he liked Brad's story. Uh, so and he, oh, he said, did. yes. And he said, not, not all of the stories that get written about us. I like, uh, and then he kind of laughed after he said that. Uh, so this will be very interesting to me to see how this develops. I, I'm, I'm guessing that he will uh, turn this over to uh, Nico and, uh, and, and sent Marshall and for the business side, of course, in which Mark probably already kind of has done that. Uh, but uh, I didn't. I thought it was also interesting that a uh, a, a young woman that I did not recognize uh, was walking around with Mark. And and today I got a an email uh, asking if I would be interested in, in writing a story about this new uh, venture that Mark is starting up. And I thought, boy, this already looks like he's he's looking for a, a parachute here. You know, it's a, it's like here's something else I can do. Um, so. It's going to be very interesting to see going forward how that's going to work out. As for the the trade they made, uh, you know, so far it, it looks pretty good. Uh, Daniel Gafford uh, looks like Wilt Chamberlain on this team uh, at this point. I, I, I tell you, uh, his former teammate Kyle Kuzma said after the game Monday night that uh, he's got the easiest job in the world with, with everybody doubling uh, Luka or, or Kyrie, mostly Luka that he can just stand there in the key and, and be wide open. And he's all he has to do is make the right read. And then, uh, and then from that point, he's going to end up with a double, double every night, which it certainly looks like that two games in he's averaging, I think almost as many uh, points and rebounds as he is in minutes. Uh, so it's been very impressive so far I, uh, PJ Washington. They tried to paint that last night as a, or, against the Wizards as a, as a good performance by him. I don't know. It was nine points. Uh, and they weren't pretty points either. Uh, I didn't think he was that effective on, on Kuzma. They put him on him. And he, you know, he was nine of 19 from the floor. I didn't see that, uh, that PJ was much of a hindrance to him, uh, frankly. So, uh, we'll see how that works out, but, uh, but you, you certainly can't question to me at this point, the acquisition of Gafford, 
Uh, one of the things that Jason Kidd talked about uh, before the game was that this affords them the ability to play, you know, 48 minutes uh, with a big lineup if they want to do that, uh, which they couldn't do that before. And as uh, Chuck Cooperstein pointed out to me, in and in we did an interview before the game, uh, this be the first time probably since uh, they had Tyson Chandler and Brendan Haywood as their two centers on the championship team that they could say that uh, when you had two guys of, of that quality been able to play. So this certainly gives them some more versatility uh, when they need that. Uh, and I, I do think this team has improved its uh, playoff chances much much better. I think they could probably get up to a six seed. I don't. It's going to be hard for them to get up any higher than that. And if those uh, that backcourt is performing at a high level, they're going to be a, a hard team for a lot of teams to play. Well, this this the versatility is the key. They could really they could really only win one way with the team the way it was previously constructed, and uh, it, it was small ball. They were getting killed on the boards uh, defensively. You just couldn't mix and match. Um, and it, in the playoffs. I don't think a lot of people talk about that enough. The ability to mix and match defensively in the playoffs is huge. And they, they just didn't have that versatility. Uh, you know, uh, Maxi Kleber at one time gave them some of that, but at this stage of his career, I'm not sure how much he does that now. So, yeah, these are two, uh, you know, these are uh, very, they should fit in seamlessly uh and really help them on, on their playoff push and when you have two players uh in Doncic and and Kyrie Irving who can take over a game or a series you at least give yourselves a shot in just about any series you would have um it's going to be very difficult for them to get back to the Western Conference Finals the way they did a couple of years ago but uh, this is this is an interesting team that I think uh, you're a little more intrigued by what they can do this postseason than they were before these moves were made. Yeah, it's also uh, uh, those guys were the players they added were were seasoned, but they were also young guys too. These guys were, were 25 and that in that range there, the same age as Luca. Uh, so you you have to like the possibilities and the potential of this anyway. Um, I don't know how much you're going to get. Uh, the, the formula in the NBA no longer is you had to have three superstars and you fill around filling around them. Now it's, it's, it is two superstars and you fill out, fill in around that. And that's kind of what you were limited to. Uh, and I think that these guys, certainly Gafford is making a huge difference already. A huge fan favorite. Uh, you know, he blocked five shots last night. You know, he had 14 rebounds in the first half, six yeah. offensive rebounds in the first half. I mean, when's the last time any, Mavericks player had six as many as six offensive rebounds in a game. You know, he's just really giving them a different dynamic. Uh, so I, I'll be interested to see how how this develops going forward. And, and at least it's interesting because I got to tell you, David, watching some of those games when they just come down there and just slogging down the floor and, and Luca's just pounding, 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 trying to make something happen here. Uh, that that's got to be brutal after a while. Yeah, and, and that's. And that is something that you always have to be careful of with a uh, not only a dominant player, but a player who needs to dominate the ball to be dominant. Um, sometimes it, it lessens the energy, uh, especially on the offensive end, and they're, they're just that erosion. And, and again, uh, 
asking guys to expend everything defensively and then run down on the other end of the court and rest on offense is not really a, a great incentive for a lot of guys either, you know, and no, and, and at this league, you have to be able to score. You have to be able to spread the court so that, you know, the only drawback to a player like that sometimes is that uh, his teammates not be, may not be as fully invested as they need to be uh, in, in a team sport to advance. Uh, you saw that some with Allen Iverson in Philadelphia. I mean, you've seen it time and time again throughout the league. And so it's, it's about finding the right personalities and the right uh, fit of basketball skills to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that's that's where the Mavericks are right now. And so, you know, uh, as I've said, the first game was just out of sight. The second game was uh, was brutal uh, for about three and a half quarters until they finally started to put something together and, and put the Wizards away. Uh, and we'll see what they do Wednesday uh, before the break here. Uh, but I think they put themselves in a good position. Uh, that is three deadlines for uh, Nico Harrison. And uh, I would say right now, uh, just judging on, on what we've seen in a very small sample size, obviously, well, that's he's three for three. Uh, we can argue about uh, the, the addition of uh, Kyrie Irving and, and uh, how much that really improved the team. But uh, they, they acquired talent and, uh, and difference-making talent in all three of his deadline deals. Now, you can certainly question what he did over summers, and how they uh, went into seasons uh, with the personnel that he uh, acquired. Uh, but at the deadline, I think these have been uh, impact deals. And we'll see what happens going forward. All right, Evan's yawning, so I guess that means that we're done. Uh, so for uh, – is anybody having – I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not tired. I'm just bored of you. Well, okay, sure. That's fine. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so in any way – uh, I'm going to have Evan uh, eliminated from this podcast for next week. So <laughs> just be me and David for all you people wondering. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We'll come back next week and uh, see what's going on then and see if uh, Rex Ryan has uh, asserted himself again into uh, the Cowboys uh, situation. Maybe he's going for head coach next time. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.